Welcome to Technically Iowa, a podcast highlighting female entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and all-out female rock stars connected to technology in Iowa. I'm Beth Trejo, and I'll be your host for the show. We have a great show for you planned today. But first, a message from our sponsor. Be sure to check out TAI's Catalyst Series, presented by Corteva AgriScience Agricultural Division of Dow DuPont. This Catalyst Series profiles Iowa women technology leaders through personal long-form interviews and beautiful photography. The digital series will culminate in a live event on December 4th in downtown Des Moines at the Tea Room. Experience photography from the series and listen to stories from women featured throughout 2018. You can meet the Catalyst and learn more about the live event at CatalystIowa.com. That's C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T-S-Iowa.com. Hello and welcome to Technically Iowa, a podcast highlighting female entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and all-out female rock stars connected to technology in Iowa. You're joining us for Season 2, and I am Beth Trejo, and I'll be your host for this show. Today, my guest speaker will be Ada Wu, the Senior Director of Strategy Implementations and Operations at ACT. We have a great show for you today, so stay tuned. All right, well, welcome to the show, Ada. Hi, Beth. How are you? Good, good. to be here. So you're joining us from Iowa City today. How many people do you guys have in that office? You have a pretty big operation there in Iowa City. Is that correct? Yeah. So I think ACT is about 2,000 employees, and I work in department within ACT that's called ACT Next. So we're relatively new. We're the research and development unit for us in our department. We have 31 people. Gotcha. And so tell us a little bit about what your department does, as well as just ACT as a company. Many of us are familiar with some aspects of what you guys do, but give us a little bit of an overview. So for ACT next, uh, as I mentioned before, we're new. So we're about 18 months in since we started. We are set up at as a new research and development incubation unit at ACT. So ACT, if you know anything about ACT, you probably know about our task, the ACT task. So we, for years and years, that's what we're known for. Now ACT is trying to get into the learning and assessment business instead of just the assessment business that we've been doing for the last 59 years doing ACT tests. So we're trying to leverage our expertise in psychometrics and measurement and use the data that we have and get into helping people learn. So ACTNIX is kind of set up for that. And we are a multidisciplinary team. So we have folks that are AI and machine learning experts. We have computer scientists, developmental psychologists, psychometricians, et cetera, all of these different people that come together and make new learning prototype within ACT. Is your department and kind of your branch, like who is the target? Is it businesses as we're looking to learn more about, you know, our employees entering the workforce or is it people in general? Who is your audience? So our target is K-2 career. So we are interested in getting really young kids to uh, start collecting data and helping them learn and then kind of help them navigate through their educational career in high school and maybe further into college, as well as if you don't want to go to university, you know, we want to help children establish good workforce credential and workforce skills to help them transition into the work. Awesome. So you're basically taking information, you know, that kids are being tested on throughout their learning process and then saying, this is great information if you're building a program for XYZ or to help kids that are going into vocational programs. And so you're kind of using that information to help with career pathing and learning styles. Am I close? (laughs) 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. So we're interested in adaptive learning. So because we have a lot of touch points with a lot of students and learners, we know quite a bit about a lot of kids already. So we want to leverage that information and recommend learning content to them that is specific to their needs and specific at their level. So if you think about what are the best education opportunities that someone can get, like if you have a really good teacher in high school, you will think back and say, well, this teacher really target what I need and learn materials I need and really challenge me. And, you know, this teacher was kind of making a curriculum just for me. We're trying to do that with technology and we're trying to do that for every kid. So using what we know about these learners, we want to recommend targeted learning opportunities and learning content so that each kid can have the best possible education that they can. I love that. And I think it's so true. You know, I think everybody has those one or two teachers that probably did that for them. I mean, as, as I'm sure we're all aware, that's not always the case. So I, I love that you guys are kind of taking a holistic and, and a broader approach to that. So tell me a little bit about your background. Are you a technologist yourself or what path did you come into technology through? I think my path is a little bit winding. I actually grew up in Hong Kong. So when I was an 11th grade student back in Hong Kong, I saw a poster outside of my guidance counselor office for an exchange student scholarship to go to America. And I thought that would be a great adventure. So I applied to the scholarship and I won. I ended up going to Coleman, Alabama and finishing high school there. And then after I finished high school in Alabama, I just stayed. And then I think my interest at the time was I wanted to get into clinical psychology and I wanted to help people be a clinical psychologist. And then as I get more into psychology, I realize there are so many more facets to psychology than just the clinical portion. There's the research, there's the science, there is the quantitative component. And so I ended up choosing a branch of psychology called psychometrics. That's the science of assessment and making tests. And then I just kept going to school, got my PhD in psychometrics, and then I went to work for medical licensure. So I spent the last decade uh, making tests for nurses. So in the United States and Canada, for example, if you want to be a nurse, you have to take a board exam. I work for the company that made that board exam. And I'm relatively new to ACT. I started ACT last September. So this is a new gig for me. Obviously, probably that transition from, you know, the, the nursing board exam to this is probably a very, although maybe a little different, but but definitely in the same educational um, vein. I think that's fascinating. And I think one thing that's really interesting about your story and, and your path into technology is that it kind of shows and is very demonstrating that you don't always have to, you know, be deep in code if you want to be in the technology spectrum. So I think that's super interesting. So what would you say, you know, if someone is interested in in people, maybe they don't think that technology is the right path for them. But I mean, you kind of are a perfect example of how understanding people and the psychology of it all um, also can marry with that technology space. What would you tell someone who's graduating from high school or looking into different college education tracks if they're looking to get into that your your field, like the psychometrics? What's the first step? Is it is it through psychology? Is it through a specific program? Um, I'm sure there's lots of options out there, but I'm just curious 
to what you would tell like a friend and family that's looking for that? So people get into psychometrics from all different routes. There are a number of students now get into uh, psychometrics through educational school. So, you know, kids are training to be teachers. We also have students that are from a purely mathematical background or statistics or like me from an experimental psychology background. So, you know, there are many facets of psychometric that will get you to the same goal and the same degree. What I would recommend if say a high school student might want to explore psychometrics later on is don't be afraid of math and don't be afraid of statistics. Don't say no before you try it. And that's, that will definitely open up more opportunities for the future. I love it. That That's some great advice. What are some things that you think, you know, looking, whether it's a high school student or, or any age for that matter, what do you think like the biggest misconceptions of your work is or maybe some surprising facts about what you do every day? I think for the psychometric profession or the assessment industry, I think the biggest surprise to most people is that there is such an industry. Just thinking back when I was in Hong Kong and taking standardized tests. So when I came to the United States, doing the SAT, the ACT, the GRE, and all these alphabet soup tests, I never thought there's a whole profession of people behind the scene that are making these tests. I just thought there's a couple of guys sitting in the room and just making up the test. So now I have to take it. So I think that the fact that there is an industry and there are people that are trained specifically to do this job of making a test, that might be the biggest surprise to people. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that just how the pathways and industries intersect, you know, my uh, job is in social media and it's amazing how important it is to have some sort of a psychology or even kind of that insights into how people think and behave within our field. And most people don't think that that would be a normal track. You know, most people think they need to go into marketing marketing to be in kind of a social media position. But honestly, understanding behaviors and the way people think is is so important for getting messages in front of people in the right way. So I think that there's lots of probably opportunities for people to get into that role. What about from your aspect with the people that you work with? Are they people all over the world? Are they local? What areas do your clients or customers come to you from? ACT is a global company. So we have, I mean, we have a very large market in the United States, obviously, but we also have clients from all over the world. So in the Middle East, for example, in Asia, there are a lot of people using our products. So, I mean, it is global. As far as the other side, the people that I work with on a teammate level, we're a very distributed company. Just for example, with ACT Next, I'm telling you that we have 31 people I would say about a third are physically in Iowa City, our headquarters. We have two team members that are based out in the Netherlands. We have a couple of team members, programmers that are in St. Petersburg, Russia. We have a few people that are in the greater New York City area. We have a team that's in Silicon Valley and San Jose. And, you know, we have people everywhere in between. We're all over the world. And what's the best way that you found to communicate with kind of that global team? Do you guys use like a video or a chat conference or what works best for you all? We try to create face-to-face opportunity when we can. So if there is a conference in the United States for our team members to have to come to the States, you know, we usually tag on a trip to Iowa City so we can meet face-to-face. The in-between time, we do quite a bit of video conferencing. So we see each other at least once every week on the video and just kind of keep in touch that way. Gotcha. Well, I think that's a perfect segue to our next segment. Now it's time for a little fun. 
All right, so this trivia and game section is called Love It or Leave It. And basically, as a busy executive, I imagine that you have team members in other areas of the country so that you do a fair amount of travel. So the question that we have for you today is, I'm going to put a list of things out there. And really, we want to see, do you need it to travel? Or do you love it? Or would you leave it at home? Some people bring everything that they can on work trips. Other people try to be as minimal as possible. So are you ready for this? Yes. So first, First and foremost, backpack. Love it. Take it everywhere. I agree. So do you take a backpack and a briefcase or do you try to get away with just one? The backpack is my briefcase. So I kind of went the in-between route. I, I bought a business backpack. So I, I, I take my backpack everywhere with me, including travel. Me as well. I couldn't live without it. Um, how about athletic shoes? Do you bring those on work trips? Not athletic shoes. I bring comfortable shoes. Does that count? I guess that could count. The reason that I ask is I feel like, especially if I'm in a, a one or two day trip period, I'm. it's always like, do I bring these just in case I want to go on a walk or not? And typically I leave them out and air on the side of a, a smaller backpack. But I was just curious if that was something on your list. How yeah, about a no, book? Kindle. So I, I usually have a bunch of Kindle books on my phone. So yeah. laptop, love it or leave it. Oh, absolutely. I take it everywhere. I threw that one on there because, you know, sometimes I am able to get away with just bringing my phone on short work trips. So I was curious, you probably have more data that you need to dive into on a larger monitor or screen. Yeah. And it's easier to use that laptop to do VPN back to the office. True. That makes sense. All right, now we're going to go into the next section, which we talk a little bit about what are things that you use to make your life a little easier. What is your workplace setup like and how do you keep yourself organized on a day-to-day basis, if you do? (laughs) So, I mean, nowadays, workplace is very much paperless. One thing that I do use paper for is I carry a notebook everywhere and I write everything down. I try to review my notes at least once every week just to make sure I'm not missing things and forgetting conversations with folks and I prioritize what I need to do. So my notebook is what keeps me together. What's your favorite side project that you're currently working on, if any? So I make jewelry as a hobby. Uh, I actually learned how to make jewelry from watching YouTube video. So I taught myself. That's a very satisfying hobby to be able to make something that I can give to friends and I can wear. That's fascinating. So what kind, is it like a metal jewelry or what type of jewelry do you make? So usually I do pearls. So I, not pearls, I do gemstone. Awesome. Those are the kinds of stuff that I make. That's really interesting. You mentioned that you use your notebook a lot, but do you have like kind of a to-do list online or cloud-based that you use to keep yourself on task and on track? Yeah, I tried a few And they're great, but personally, they don't work for me, maybe because, you know, I'm from a a different generation that I grew up using paper as just a habit. I find that if I don't physically write something down, I don't remember. So my to-do list manager is kind of my notebook. Gotcha. And I think that that's interesting because I also write notes, um, but I I write them to just remember it. And I never go back to look. All my to-do stuff I try to keep on my computer so or my phone so it kind of follows me. But I do think that there's something to be said about writing something down just so your memory and, and your mind kind of um, sinks into it. Well, thank you so much um, for your time today, Ada. And we really enjoyed um, speaking with you. And I know that our listeners probably learned a little bit today as well. So please know that we appreciate your time. And thank you for being on Technically Iowa. Thank you for having me. 